Hello, everyone who's watching us live. Thank you very much. It's always a real privilege when you know that there are a few people listening in and commenting. Um, so it's Wednesday, 1st of December. God, is it December? It is. I know, oh. you didn't get me my advent calendar. And um, we've got some fabulous guests here today. Um, so first of all, I'm going to just share with anybody that's not watched this before um, or listened to this before. Um, what this is all about. And then I'm going to introduce you to our lead guest and then two guests that he's invited on, which is very exciting. So um, if you're listening to this, you won't see that there are, there, we're sitting, Thomas and I are sitting on a sofa. This, this is us on our sofa. Try and imagine sort of the Richard and Judy of the business world. That's what we're here for. And, and um, we've got our three guests on Zoom with us here. And we run these podcasts or live chats in order to bring experts to you so one thing after i think we worked out about how many years in business we say 38 years did we say i'm 57 38 years or so in business one of the hardest things to do is find good reliable trustworthy and rather lovely suppliers and so whilst as business owners we tend to focus on you know our customers and delivering for them it is our suppliers that are that can make the most tremendous difference and so Thomas and I have gathered some experts into a group called BIP 100, which stands for Business is Personal 100. And we look for um, very unique individuals who have an expertise in a niche that can help other business people and also help individuals in some case. Um, and there's a commonality between them all, and that is one of trust and kindness. And so we do quite a lot of work I think Thomas has now interviewed how many people? End of November, so 1,500 now. 1,500 people. And so far we've had 80, got 89 of our... 90th today. Yeah, 90th. 90, another 90. one. 90 of our 100 experts that are going to be joining us in this very special community. So on a Wednesday, we bring them to you. And today we're going to be talking about health and safety. And we've got um, Malcolm Tullett here, who's author of Risk Risk It. Now, you've got your book there, Malcolm. Hold up your book, Malcolm. I meant to bring mine downstairs. There it is. Risk It. Risk It, a fantastic book. Now, some of you will get to know Malcolm's personality on this, and he's you'll bit, really enjoy it. He's a bit it. naughty and he can be. rude and cheeky. And, <laughs> and very caring. <laughs> oh, and caring, yes. And we've caring. known Malcolm for... 15 years, I would say, at least 15 years. Probably 20 years, actually. Um, and, and the fascinating thing about Malcolm is, is your journey, Malcolm, which has been really from having a very, as a child, being in a family that really cared deeply. I know your mum was a hospital matron. Um, and, and I think it seemed like it was your path was to be in a, a caring world. And you went through being a fireman. And then uh, you've been a counsellor. And, and for how many years have you run your, your business again? Since 1993. 1993. Oh, so, so it's a real privilege to have Malcolm here with us. And we're going to have a really good chat. Um, and the first question I'm going to be asking after Malcolm's introduced his guests is, who is this relevant to? So if you're starting to think, not sure this is relevant to me, do not switch off yet, because you might be surprised. So, Malcolm, please do introduce your wonderful guests. I will. Well, um, Sarah, um, I've known through Bit 100. 
Um, she's been a practitioner for 18 years. Uh, in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah. I'm, I'm just you know sort of reading from a few notes now. She's been in corporate consulting for that length of time. Um, the reason I've asked her on today is because of her well-being and mental health knowledge, and she went into psychology um, and uh, mental health itself with, with regards to looking at leadership and developing a caring culture. So as, as one of the two, I think she's perfect in that sense. And then we have um, Stephen Storey, um, who's a chartered member of the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. He's currently the Regional um, Environmental Health and Safety Director of um, a major international company, but he's responsible for Europe and Israel. Um, he's previously been the manager, uh, sorry, been previously involved in major construction projects in the Middle, Far East and India. And this is the key, I think, um, in 2018, he took on the role as the very first ROSPA, which is the Royal Society for Prevention of Accidents, international ambassador for health and safety. So I think I've got two really good uh, guests here to, to help me see this particular project, uh, particular uh, discussion through. So that is brilliant. That is brilliant. And can I just say to everybody, because nobody, people might not be, if they're driving their car when they're listening back to this or anything, won't be writing these names down. At the end of this, I am actually going to give you their full names um, and also um, links to them, all three of them. Um, but also, if you're wanting to do a little bit of a LinkedIn search while you're listening to this, it's Sarah Piddington, P I D D I N G T O N, and Stephen, spelt with P H in the middle story s-t-o-r-e-y and of course as i said our lead expert malcolm tullet which is t-u-l-l-e-t-t so i know if anybody's like me when i'm listening to a podcast i like to look people up on linkedin while i'm while i'm listening so malcolm has malcolm. four l's and three t's oh, no, there you go so malcolm this is the first question i want to ask i know you've got some incredibly exciting conversations going on here also a little bit controversial but at the end of the day there are some stories, there are some disasters, there are some things that all three of you have experienced that really let companies and more importantly, their team, their staff down massively. And we're really going to pull up our sleeves, lift the bonnet on that. But the first thing I really want to get into asking is when does health and safety become relevant to you as a business owner, for example, or a CEO of a business? To be honest, the way I've always gone about my practice is from a caring perspective. And what I always tell my clients is I only have one purpose, and that's to help them get to the point where every member of staff that turns up in the morning goes home in exactly the same way as they came to work that day. So they don't go and minus any fingers. They don't go and... You know, in any worse condition, and health and safety is as simple as that. And it's the same way I think we'll end up the conversation talking about the family as well. It's, it's no different to you and your family. Uh, when you send your child out to school in the morning, you want to see your child come home with the same digits and the same you know, sort of... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, um, Sarah, you know, um, and I know Malcolm feels this way as well, but I'm going to focus on you, Sarah, this... It's about their well-being, isn't it, as well? It's that they go home feeling cared for, yeah? Absolutely. And as organisations are starting to realise that um, when you care about your people and you focus on their well-being, their health tends to improve 
and when people's health tends to improve and they, they feel like their organisation cares about them, they will engage more with that organisation, which in turn um, causes them to be willing to give this discretionary effort, which results in productivity increases. So the wellbeing factor, there's studies coming out now that show that investing in people's wellbeing actually creates a profit center rather than a cost center. So yeah, these smarter, really more forward thinking organizations are starting to get with that program now as well. Yeah, I'd really love us to, to dig deeper into that um, mm -hmm. um, in later on in the show, because I, I think particularly when you say that health and safety can become a profit center, I think that's a very fascinating thought there. Um, and can I just, can I just yeah. pipe in very quickly, just yeah. very quickly. Uh, well-being is, is the latest thing and it's absolutely right it should have been there all the way along the line because it's health and safety um, the, the issue is that um, employers and, and business owners don't actually know what they don't know so they can't quantify the loss until they actually experience the loss mm -hmm. so both in terms of both um, acute accidents and chronic illness including mental health illness um, it, it, it's a slow build-up. Yeah. It, it costs a lot of money. And they say, if you, if you think health and safety is expensive, try having an accident. Yeah. Mm. And I'll leave it at that point so you can carry on. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, Stephen, can I ask you what your role has been in preventing accidents since Malcolm specifically mentioned ROSPA? Um, well, obviously, I've worked for, for many, many organisations across the across the globe and um, I can tell you a fact if you want to make a widget or you want to put a cube of concrete in anywhere in the world it's done exactly the same the same materials are used the same um, uh, labor is used um, but for some reason there are some you know locations and some organizations that kind of don't get it and they all they're interested in is is getting the the end result without actually putting the planning and the um and the leadership into making sure that that particular activity is done safely um i, I know that if someone sits on the board and tells you look i'm there's something that's going to affect your business that not only will affect your profit could harm someone in the business and by the way in some countries put you in jail that particular ceo would go well what is it we need to make sure we put in it and but there is a you know there is an issue that when you say it's safety um some people think it's a an add-on it's a you know it's not relevant um but when it actually it is because as as malcolm quite rightly said if you have an accident it costs a lot of money it affects mm -hmm. your brand it affects your you know your, your um um your future um, business so yeah I think that's you know where, where the relevance comes in um, it can be pushed by legislation and and client requirements but oh man more about that it can hit you in the pocket you know so so can I ask you since you've you've mentioned all these different terms you've mentioned uh, health and safety you've mentioned mental health you've mentioned well-being are all these are Mental health and well-being is that is that all part of health and safety? Is health and safety part of mental health and well-being? All these different labels that have appeared much more because of COVID and the and the lockdown. All these new words have appeared in the boardroom. How how are they all interchangeable? Are they all part of the same thing? Because it, it, that, upset, it upsets me a little bit, Thomas, that you say they've only just appeared in the boardroom. Um, 
They should have they should have been there to, since the I think it was the 1861 Morals of Apprentices Act. Um, but we won't go there. But, I'll keep, but, but health, uh, but well-being, yeah. and mental health linked to health and safety. That's only just appeared in the border in the last couple of years. Not really. It's always been there. The health and safety executive have constantly said that um, the acute um, rate of accidents is something they can control fairly quickly. Uh, chronic illness is something that's been going on for a very long time, and they've been pushing it. There's a thing called the uh, the PETO research with, about mesothelioma and use of asbestos. Um, that that should have peaked should have peaked in the year 2000 uh, with the number of deaths. Now the number of deaths arising from asbestos is still probably 10 to 15 times higher than that from accidents. Mm. Wow, even yeah, now, amazing. even now in 2021. So let's 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 talk about some of the things which um, in our, our pre-meeting we said we really feel would be great to, to come across for the audience is leadership is, is a fascinating subject and there are so many angles to leadership. And obviously today there's going to be people that are leaders listening into in, listening into this. Um, and I'm sure some of them unknowingly have led themselves into some dreadful disasters and also maybe not knowing how to handle it once they are in that disaster. It reminds me, what was that? Was it the BP guy that was seen walking along the oh, beach? Oh, I just want my life back. Do you remember yeah. that? Do you yes. remember? You know, what was his name? What was that called, Malcolm? Toby Hayward. Yeah, Deepwater Horizon. Oh, Hayward. That's Bob. right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you just knew that that was going to be his Ratner moment where nobody's ever going to let him get off that. So, um, so no, you've obviously... Nobody wants this fixed more than me. I just want my life back. I know. So Boom. now Let's... some health and safety things maybe are preventable. I don't know. And I don't know whether we can get into that. But there's the leadership to ensure that we're keeping people as safe as possible. And then there's the leadership when we go into some disasters. Um, so, Malcolm, look, I know this is very, very important to you. I know you coach and support your clients so much on this. And so I'd like you to almost manage this conversation because I know that you've pre-talked with Sarah and Stephen about this and I'd really love us to get into this, this leadership aspect of it. Sure, I'd love to. Uh, with regards to all catastrophes going back years and years and years, anything you like, Piper Alpha, uh, as we said, Deepwater Horizon, um, some of the, uh, Abavan, you know, go back to Abavan and, and things like that. Um, when you look into each one, it normally comes up with four root cause issues. Uh, and, and, and in order, it's poor leadership, poor communications, they're the primaries. And then the second is a poor training and poor maintenance of equipment and plant. Right. Concentrating on the first ones, um, what I would say is, that leadership and communications are interlinked, and I'm going to leave that to Sarah to come back and link them better um, as we as we go through. But from my perspective, there's a significant minority, potentially even a minority, uh, sorry, a majority of business owners, entrepreneurs, senior managers who are so goal based that they want to grow the business. Uh, they're in there for the profit but they don't see beyond that. And some of these people verge on being sociopaths. They will climb over people to get to the top and they leave behind a trail of destruction in their wake. They achieve the board requirements 
of growth, you know, higher dividends, you know, higher share price, all the other bits and pieces. But whether it be physical or mental harm that they leave behind, um, they are not abiding by this thing called the duty of care. So my question to both of my guests um, is how to move, move on from the regulatory tick box mentality that's been developed to comply with the duty of care to a caring model mm. where the workforce is actually seen as part of the family or another family or an extended family. So the pandemic has produced a, a new different. And effectively, I think we need to capitalise on that new different. And we need to have a new approach to well-being. And when I say a new approach, I don't mean it's new. I mentioned that earlier. It's always been there. But a new approach to well-being. And I do not mean by that just the hybrid method of working, which is just one aspect of it. There's a lot more than that. Now, I know this is right up Sarah's street, so I'm going to literally pass straight over to Sarah to, to sort of continue with that theme. So the question is, how do we move on? Hmm. Well, I think there's a major element um, that organisations have forgotten that people are their greatest assets and that people aren't a payroll number and you can't just swap one person out and swap another person in and have them do that same job, A, without losing a lot of money. Um, so I think the pandemic has shown us that employees now are willing to walk for, for to work for a company that will look after their well-being, that will care about them, that that they want to go somewhere they can engage, they want an employer who know, wants to look after those people. And it's the Richard Branson adage, if you look after your people, your people will look after your customers. And I say that to every one of my clients. When you look after your people and when you genuinely care about your people and you hire the right people in to do the right jobs and you, you issue that care, you um, look after their well-being, well-being plus engagement equals productivity. It just makes good business sense to look after people. And this unwanted staff attrition, people don't leave your organisation to go somewhere else and be treated the same or worse. They leave you to go and work for someone who's going to look after them better. And organisations now, I think, in, in this current world need to be recognising that people who are healthy and have positive well-being are safer at work. Do you want a knackered, stressed out pilot flying a plane or a knackered, stressed out copper carrying a gun? It's, it's a, mm. and it's not just these high risk industries. We need to get to the place where the people that sit in the boardroom and talk about numbers actually talk about people. And yeah. that's what's been missing. And if I, if I am working with a leadership team that I know cares about me, um, that causes me to trust them and that place of psychological safety, feeling safe going and talking to your leadership. Even Malcolm and I and Stephen and I will know from reading incident reports, someone often says, I knew something was wrong about that and I didn't feel that I was in a safe enough position to go and say to someone, something doesn't feel right. And putting people in that place where they can have that conversation that might avoid a major accident, might avoid a major incident, it all goes back to bringing people in, communicating with them and 
building up that trust. Right. Wow. Yeah, and I love this link. I really love this link where you're saying where it's it's almost people first, isn't it? Mm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and as you say, Malcolm, you don't want that tick boxing. Um, and, and I think that's where Steve can now sort of take yeah. up the cudgels because um, from his perspective, seeing it worldwide, um, I think he can sort of give us an insight into what he's come across with those people that I was talking about earlier that have to get the job done. But before you do, Steve, I came across something the other day that's in this country, strangely enough, and it's on the south coast, major building, and it's only now that the building is occupied that they've realised that the base floor that's holding up this building, okay, it's got no reinforcing in it at all. And it's because it was all rushed. They had to get the job done and completed on time and on budget, and the bit they miss is on time, on budget, safely. Yeah. Miss that last bit out of the equation. So sorry to steal your thunder, Stephen, but over to you. Okay. Well, I think um, co. I mean, I, I suppose I'm, I'm very unlucky to have been involved with a lockdown in, in India and then in a lockdown when I came back to the UK last year. Um, but what I, I have seen is that the COVID has made the board and the CEOs respect and understand and give conf- and have confidence in the in the health and safety professionals within their organisations, because they've been pinnacle in bringing through this really tough time we've had at the moment in planning for COVID. And I, th- I think that that, that it, you know the, the good leaders, the ones that understand, there are there is a pricked up and said that, you know I, I'm I'm gaining some value from this, and I think that then has uh, regenerated about. Um, uh, the, the health and safety generally within any organisation. Um, I don't think, I mean, I've been quite lucky. I, I've been lucky that I've worked for some really good leaders. I mean, there's been a couple of bad ones, but I don't think bad lang- bad leaders are born. I think what they are, they're brought up in the spec. They followed someone who was before them, who ever shadowed them or ever brought them up to be a leader, had their bad traits and that, that evolved into their into their personality and how they would um, uh, manage. I think that well-being is very, very, very uh, important part of a leader's um, bringing that into an in, into an organisation because I think then it shows visual um, commitment to the organisation and the people within the organisation. Um, and I found that I mean, in my experience, that I found that that even in within an organisation, different clients can produce different. Um, aspects of of safety culture within the senior leadership teams mm-hmm. for example when i was in asia there was a lot of investment from the world bank and from jica which is the equivalent of world bank in japan now they had really high standards and because they are investing into the infrastructure of, of various countries across asia that the organizations i'm working for their the priority of, of of safety was really high but then you'd go to a another project where the client weren't bringing it in as much and the Mm. systems were brought down, you know, the the standards were brought down. And for me, a good leader and a good organization, wherever they work, whatever they do, whatever they manufacture, they should have the standard. The minimum requirement is, is complying with legislation. That's the minimum requirement, but they should be setting their own standards wherever they work, wherever in the world they work for whatever clients. And I think that's a, a you know, a, a, a vision of a, of, a, of a good, of a good leader within a, a large complex organization anywhere in the world. Yeah, brilliant. Malcolm, before we go on to sort of my next set of thoughts, anything you wanted to add to, to that around leadership? Yeah, I, I, I think we all three knew it 
instinctively anyway. But I think the word, there is a word um, that, that's missing here, and it, it's trust. And, and there has to be trust in directions. Um, it has to be trust from the top down and from the, in fact, that's the sideways as well. But the whole thing is about trust. When a, a person goes to work, they exchange their time for money. They do not offer to harm themselves at all. They trust in the employer to look after them. But the trust goes the other way around as well. The trust employer is to say to the employee, we trust you, as Sarah said, to bring it to our attention, okay, when things are going wrong. And the well-being model now could, could be the catalyst to achieve more of that trust. Yeah, it's nice. I like that. I like that a lot. When you say, when you say the well-being model, Malcolm, what does the well-being model mean? Well, it's not. What I can say is what it's not. A well-being model is, is whatever the organisation wants it to be. But what it's not is just a gym facility. It's not just um, a healthy eating facility. It's, it's, it's not just any of those things. It's, no, no, it's, um, it's really interesting you say that, Malcolm, because I was talk. I did a talk halfway through COVID last year for an American company, and it was their HR department had asked me to do one, and they had incorporated well-being into their their plans, and they wanted me to talk about my experience of not looking after my well-being, and um, so I was talking to the HR people before, you know, I was taking a brief, and I said, so what have you done? And they've got staff of eighty, and they're in New York. What have you done for them? And they said, well, we're re we've really implemented something quite powerful. We've given them all access to Calm, the app, Calm. And I sort of looked blankly at them, waiting for them to say something else. And they'd literally took the box on well-being with that. Um, so it's it's fascinating. That's like a sticky blast. It's, well, it's just, yeah. just, I mean, it takes a lot to understand or even be motivated to use Calm effectively. Yeah. So, um, well, I think, it's, I think in BIP, we just, we've had what, a year of TJ's Tuesday Wellbeing. Yeah. I've only just got to the point where I've, I've understood what he's been saying. Well, understood to implement. You've understood to it implement. to actually start taking action. Well, that's I know. taken me a year. So well, I'd never learned that on an app. I have to say that's very sad. That's, that's the sort of thing, Thomas, that most organisations need to get involved in holistically. And, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll give way to Sarah on this one. It's not. It, it's not a panacea. It, it, yeah. it, it's not a tick. It's not a tick box. There you go, same thing again. It's not a tick box approach. The more yeah. the organization feels and demonstrates is right for its own organization. Don't yeah, it? absolutely. I love the fact there is linked well being to productivity. So that's mm -hmm. easy for board members to understand. Yeah. 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 So, so actually, something that really, um, I mean, it's sort of a metaphor, really. It's not directly related to this. But I remember when I was working in the, um, I built Digital Youth Academy and I was working in the youth market. And I was, um, I was presenting in colleges and being asked to present awards and hearing young people's stories, unemployed young people who become apprentices and everything. And I used to well up and cry. I used to find it so moving. And one of the teachers came up to me at the end and said, it's been uh, eye-opening because I've been doing this job for 25 years and I've lost that emotion towards mm -hmm. this uh, it's gone from me and you've reminded me about what I, what we're actually doing and why we're here 
And I think it, she was very humble about it. And I thought, you know, this is the thing when we're routinely turning up at work and doing things and maybe we've been responsible for building a company from startup or we've come in and we've scaled it. People become numb and, um, and just forget, don't they? I don't know whether that means anything to you, Sarah, what I'm saying there. It does. It's, it's all my, when I'm doing training, I actually liken this to, um, you know, most people, when they get their license, they don't go over 70 miles an hour. They go, oh, okay. And then we get this mission creep that 80 miles an hour on a freeway seems acceptable because nothing's ever gone wrong before. And it's this way with, um, with people at work as well. Um, we somewhat anesthetize ourselves mm. to what's going on around us because it's easier or because um, it's always been this way. And that's what ends up contributing to this poor company culture that yeah. allows um, poor communication, poor leadership, poor training, um, it extends into what Malcolm was talking about with even poor maintenance or, uh, of equipment. All of this goes to a bit of a laissez-faire attitude of she'll be right, mate, because it's been right before and it used to really upset me when we did this to people and now I just go, yeah, it's part of working for a it company. Sounds like, um, it sounds like it's almost like the passion is stripped out of the organisation because I know what a passionate lady you are, Sarah, about life. Mm. And and we all want to turn up somewhere where I remember my first job when I was 1920. I remember the company went through a bad stage and everybody agreed that they would carry on working for free that month because the passion was wow. so strong. And it, there was about 70 of us in the business. It wasn't. And, you Full know, engaged workforce. Yeah, it really was. And it, it seems to me that that's that's the sort of company community everything that I want to create is where that. And it sounds to me when you're describing these organizations, all three of you is that this, the passion has gone out of the organisation, the, the emotion of it has gone out of it. We've forgotten um, we're dealing with people. Yeah, absolutely. So, so can I um, come back to one area that I think I'm, I'm really interested in, and it's very relevant, is this whole area of hybrid working. Mm. So, um, now, you know, so say I, I'm a leader of an organisation and I used to be able to make sure the health and safety in my office was really good. You know, I could make sure there were no cables people going to turn over and fall over and all of these things. And now suddenly everybody's working at home. Do I still have a responsibility for the remote workers' health and safety? Absolutely. There's no such thing as out of sight, out of mind. Right. Mm. And, and how does that actually play through? So say someone's listening to this now and going, oh, holy crap never realized that well how does that play through what to give us an example of what they need to do can i do it in a totally different way say for instance you are a senior manager in an organization you're what? senior manager you're a senior, senior manager. manager in an organization and you go on holiday and you're on the beach sunning yourself okay and all of a sudden the phone rings and it says we just had a fatality now, this is where we come back to the Deepwater Horizon. Nothing to do with me, mate. Okay. The thing is, it was always to do with that senior manager because they have to set up systems to make sure that the workforce is safe under all circumstances, all reasonable circumstances. Okay, so if they haven't set up a system whereby the person who's now dead, okay, was not looked after, even while he wasn't there, or she, he or she, laying on the beach, wasn't about at the time, had no direct involvement, guess what? 
they're responsible. So, so, so let me ask you this. So, and I see how you turned it round because it's a CEO and there's an office there. But what about the difference where, yeah, the CEO is sitting in an office, but well, I'm actually working remotely. Um, okay, I can answer that question, but can I pass it on to Stephen because he's been yeah, a bit... that'd be super. I don't want him falling asleep. <laughs> um, I, I, it's a good question because I've done it in a few organisations. I mean, obviously, there needs to be risk assessment done for what happens back at, at home. Obviously, yeah. you, um, because you, you take it, it could be a, it could be someone working at home. It could be someone in a, a company vehicle. The same requirements are are needed because the company is liable to make sure there's a safe place to work. So in my personal experience, we've made sure we've done risk assessments. We've made sure that we've offered them office equipment and seating and everything to make sure that their DSE is, is, is in place. Um, and, and we keep advising them. And also wellbeing comes in a lot here in people that are working remotely, still communicating, getting on the phone, having these VCs to ask people, are you okay? Cause it's yeah. not, this isn't normal. This isn't the normal normal um, for everyone. Uh, it, is the normal now because of what we're doing but i find it it's very very different from actually going to an office interacting and socializing with people um so um you've got to make sure that you put the necessary plans and the controls in for those people and if they need any equipment or anything like that that it is at hand and you can give it to them right. so so stephen you you do a risk assessment you organize people's uh, desks and computers and chairs at home they, they trip over one of those cables, fall down their own stairs. The, the company is responsible for that. Uh, falling down their own stairs, their own cable at home. Well, there is a, there is a, there's a line in the sand. Obviously, you give the information, you give the training, you give all the, the equipment and everything like that. If someone still wants to ignore that, and yeah. it's proven that they ignored that, but you've done everything that is feasible to make sure that yeah. you are doing something as an organization that you're taking your responsibility. Then obviously it comes back to the concerned person of yeah. not taking that on board. And it's very difficult to implement by the way, because you're not in their house. You're not carrying out inspections. Yeah, but we've got a, a really good example of this. We've got Nicola Adams, who's an ergonomist, who's in our BIP 100 group. She's done how many one-to-ones with people? Oh, she did 234 in seven days. 234 inspections of how people are sitting at home in seven days by this company. Mm. And I suppose, as you say, Stephen, if you, um, and for anybody listening, an ergonomist is the person who really makes sure that your ergonometry is sitting properly and you're not in danger of having RSI and back problems, etc. So I, what sounds like that, you know, that company is really protecting themselves because they've already put the care in advance. Yeah, there's technology out there. Yeah, there is. There's loads of technology. Can I just pop in with one thing? And and I've crossed this quite a few times now. The workplace has to be suitable. Uh, And a lot of organisations do not take any notice whatsoever of where the person is working. And actually, before you start the risk assessment off with regards to the activity, what you should find out is, is the place of work suitable for work so for instance a single parent three children's and a dog sitting in a one-bedroom flat with a laptop on their knee okay doing all the god gives is not a suitable place of work no and malcolm you've seen a lot of that malcolm haven't you yeah i want to share something that because you were talking about um, the employee experience sarah and how important it is for it and i know that We've always we've looked at user experience, UX, and now I know EX is becoming really mega. 
and I just got a new um, employer experience. experience and I got a new um, phone, an e-phone. And on Saturday morning, I needed to get something set up and um, the cellular network or whatever set up. So I rang through and I ended up speaking to this lovely lady and she told me that she was, I said, how has it been for you? And how did she said, well, we're all working at home now. And I started chatting with her because the setup was taking a while. And she could have said terrible things to me, but fortunately she has clearly been looked after because she was very, very positive about her home experience. But how interesting is that? Because the employee experience really affects the user experience, doesn't it, Sarah? Yeah. And if you don't mind, if I chime in, a lot of organisations have started to look at hybrid as um, a carrot to dangle under their staff's nose and you know, we need to be looking at modern organisations and this last 20 months has changed what a modern organisation needs to, ought to look like. Um, and the psychological part of that, you're going to send an extrovert home to be by themselves all the time, whereas yeah. the intro introverts might go, yes, I never have to see anyone again. The extroverts are going to go, well, that absolutely sucks. I thrive on contact. I can't go into the office. You know, it's not about saving someone 500 pounds a month from a travel card. There are those benefits, but we have to look at how is that person doing? Is that person thriving in that environment? Yeah. Is that person barely surviving? Are they in a suitable home environment? Are they, I've got friends who during the pandemic last year, husbands at one end of the dining table, wife's at one end of the dining table, kids are in the bedroom, wife is homeschooling those children and then she starts her work day at 4 p.m. and goes through till midnight. That is not acceptable from a hybrid, a duty of care, a giving a crap about your employees. Yeah, 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 yeah. So hybrid can't, hybrid can't be this carrot we dangle in front of people without thinking of all the different permutations of what could go right and what could go wrong. Yeah. And just very quickly. Does that explain why there's been so many resignations, the, the great it resignations could, it's called? It could be, and there's going to be a lot of HR claims as well, because I was talking to me, which I mentioned at our last, um, the last dinner that I was at, um, so I won't mention it freely, um, but they have gone from 78% of their workforce saying they wanted to work from home to a contract of employment that is now insisting that all of their workers work from home, thinking they're doing the right thing, until I actually put the cat among the pigeons and said, you're going to end up with 22% of your staff putting in a claim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a yeah. big number, Malcolm. That is a big number. So and I hate to be cynical, but sorry, 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 Sarah. I hate to be cynical, but it's also about saving um, organisations money on their real estate. It's easier to send yeah. people home and give them a laptop razor and a chair, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. a little controversial, so, but uh, we're nearly at the top of the show. And before we go, I want to have time to think about you know if somebody's listening to this help them understand how they can take action so that's the thing um but i want before i do that the last sort of thing i wanted to open up is some people will be listening to this maybe many of our bit 100 members people who like me i run events so i run a i have a bit 100 event thomas and i we run an event in london um 30 30 odd people come along so if i'm running an event all the people that are running events are we we responsible for health and safety of our yeah so talk that through with me as well because that's well, very relevant to people listening all i'll do is i'll start the ball rolling by getting you to ask a simple question what if yeah 
wait until you have to say if only. Yeah, what if? What if up front? I'll pass over to my guests. Steve? Yeah. Now, I think that in with whichever industry you're in or anything like that, if you, you must, the, the leadership, and I, t- I say the CEO, but it could, there's different levels of leadership. For a company to prosper and turn around and say, we're doing everything that we can reasonably do, safe, health and safety has got to be part of the DNA. And that's got to be driven by safety. It's not going to be driven by the bloke at the coalface doing the work. Yeah. It's going to be driven, and, it, and it, it's the hierarchy of following what is deemed right. The, the top man at the top, if he's demonstrating this is the right way and is the correct way and he cares and he wants his organisation to be safe, um, the rest of the business will follow. If he doesn't, his bad traits will be followed. Yeah. And that then goes real, really deep into the culture of the business. And that's when the, the, the outcome of that is, is accidents and incidents and, and then your insurance claims go up and, uh, and God knows what else, you know? So I think yeah. that, um, and there are, there are a lot of organisations out there. There's some that are not, and I think that's down to them not knowing and not being, uh, having the knowledge, but that's down to leaders to say, I need to be, understand this because this could affect my business. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Have you got any last thoughts, Sarah, before I, I finish with Malcolm for the for the show? Um, putting you on the spot here. I, mean, I, I, I hate to bang the um, well-being drum, but a few years ago I came up with this cycle and I consider well-being to be people's quality of sleep, their nutrition, their hydration, their gut, um, how they manage stress, all of those things. Well-being impacts health and health impacts safety. And all of those things, when you get them right, impact productivity, which is, has a direct impact on the bottom line because people you look after are more engaged. Yeah. If organisations, particularly the C-suite, sit and have these conversations with their people in mind, their people are going to go out and do what their customers need and their people are going to make sure that their people are safe. And in the days of corporate manslaughter, uh, the person that's sitting at the top of that food chain is the person that potentially for a fatality goes and spends and for killing people. So that, um, you know, we should be looking after people the right way and now the consequences for getting it wrong are so much more severe. But keep it about the people. Yeah. Can I just mention one thing? A, yeah. happy, a happy workforce is an efficient workforce. Yeah, yeah. And that will, that, that will, that will dovetail into your profit and your profitability. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. like that very much. So, so Malcolm, um, I want you to have the last word, and then I want to make sure that I've given some, um, some uh, directions for anybody listening of how they can get in touch with the three of you. Um, why did you – let me ask you this. Your business is Risk and Safety Plus – you called your book Risk It, which is on Amazon. What, tell me a little bit about that. Why did you call it Risk It? <laughs> because unlike a number of my colleagues who may or may not be listening into this, I am not risk averse. Um, I love risk. I love taking risk. Now, I, I've jumped out of perfectly safe aeroplanes quite a few hundred times. Um, just for the sheer hell of it. I still ride a fast motorbike to this day. Um, I was in the fire service. I was rushing into buildings while people were running out. Now, everything I do is about fun and enjoyment. So the idea is go and take some risks, okay? But be careful and care about the risks you're taking. For instance, and just a, a quick example, 
Um, when I had James, my son, mum started to get really panicky because he went running towards, um, the, the, you know, these sort of um, maypole things that got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was going to run and climb up the climbing frame. And she actually said to me, stop him, stop him, stop him. I'm like, well, why do I want to stop him? But they're four. Why will he fall? He's got hands. Yeah, we're built like apes. Yeah, we're built to hang on. Yeah. It's all, and, and if he falls, so what? <laughs> you know, maybe, I mean, if he, I don't want him dead, don't get me wrong, but he's not going to fall and kill himself. He's going to fall and hurt his pride. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, 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 so, so, that, so that's sort of the theme of your book is, uh, is. That, that, very interesting. And um, well, let's now, because we have one, one or two minutes left. So if you've been very interested in the subject, if maybe we've put a tiny little bit of fear into some of you that you've not been doing the right thing or better than that motivated you to think gosh actually if I bring this subject into my organization I'm going to have a more stable happy as Stephen says caring place for my team to work um please do get in touch with um our guests so you've got Malcolm Tullett and if you look up risk and safety plus, is it dot com dot com? Is it dot com? And Malcolm Tullett, T-U-L-L-E-T-T, is on LinkedIn if you want to um, get in touch with him. Sarah Piddington, which is P-I-D-D-I-N-G-T-O-N, is all about a human centric workplace and transforming that and working with you on on all the aspects of it especially looking at your wealth and mental health aspects of making sure that your organization is safe for people and then Stephen story um which is spelt with a ph in the middle as i said at the beginning um who's got a wealth of experience in consulting and working with large organizations and is also the international ambassador for the royal society prevention of accidents it's been a tremendous show. It has been brilliant. Brilliant conversation. 45 minutes goes by quick, doesn't it? It goes by very fast. Wow. It does. And thank you very much, all three of you. Thank you. Um, I especially want to thank Sarah, who's in Australia at the moment, who has stayed up after quite a harrowing day um, to be with us today. Um, and thank you, Stephen. Lovely to meet you. And Malcolm, thank as you. always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you Stephen. Thank you, thank you thank Malcolm. You. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye.